You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Listen live on 98.7 or 98.3 FM or stream live from rwpfm.com.au. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Science and technology news for the week. Uber is a very popular ride-sharing service. Many people will be familiar with it if you live on the peninsula. It's quite a handy thing because sometimes you can really struggle to get a taxi down here. So Uber's kind of picked up the slack there. But Uber is quite a controversial company around the world. And in fact, just recently... Transport for London, which is run you know, locally, it's a, it's a branch of government, they have actually decided that the ride-hailing app firm Uber is not fit and proper to hold a London private hire operator license. Now, this has caused quite a bit of a uh, kerfuffle over in London. Uber's new CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, is actually having a meeting. He's headed to London to have a meeting Tuesday the 3rd London time with Transport to London to appeal that decision. And a petition has been signed by over 730,000 Londoners to revoke the ban on Uber. I guess as it is elsewhere around the world, consumers like Uber because it saves them money often. Not always, but quite often it seems to be the case. Uber does acknowledge in its response to what's happened in London that we must change. So it's not saying that there aren't things that it can do to improve its service and to comply. I think that there's also quite a lot of pressure from the taxi industry over there, those black cabbies that are a real icon in London to push the ride-sharing app out because it's competition that they would rather not have. Apparently there's some 3.5 million passengers and 40,000 drivers using the Uber app in London alone and the service is available in I think about 40 towns and cities throughout England. Just some of the controversies that Uber's had to face, and this is sort of part of the reason why they might be being considered not fit and proper to hold that licence in London. The chief executive, Travis Kalanick, who helped found the company in 2009, he resigned in July following a series of scandals and criticism of his management style. There have been sackings after a law firm investigated specific complaints made to the company about sexual harassment bullying and retaliation for reporting problems. So it seems that there is there have been some cultural issues at the company. At the start of 2017, the firm paid £16.2 million in the US, so that's about 20 million US dollars, to settle allegations. It gave false promises to its drivers over how much they would earn driving for the business. In October 2016, Uber lost a landmark employment tribunal in the UK, which ruled drivers should be classed as workers rather than being self-employed. And a few months later, Uber announced it would offer English courses, financial advice, and introduce an appeals panel for its UK workers after facing criticism over lack of support and rights for its drivers. Its issues have not been just confined to England. In 2014, the New Delhi government banned app-based taxi companies, including Uber, after an Uber driver raped a passenger in his vehicle. Uber was stopped operating in Austin, Texas, when it was told drivers would have to have fingerprint background checks, but it reinstated services after the requirement was ended. So there have been examples around the world. There's been quite a lot of controversy up in Darwin at the moment. There is investigation going into whether Uber should be allowed to operate up there. 
There's a investigation in Denmark. And apparently Uber actually has a pretty big war chest of funds that it keeps specifically for fighting legal battles around the world. So interesting to see what happens in London, but another example of Uber facing pretty stiff resistance from local operators and from concerns from regulators about the ride-sharing business as well. Moving on with the news, we've talked about piracy uh, and bit torrenting and how this practice can damage the impetus and the incentive to be creative because if, if your ideas can be stolen and then put out onto the internet through a, a website like the Pirate Bay, then why would you bother to produce the material in the first place? Well, the EU, the European Union Parliament, had a big look at this um, a few years ago and they came out and said that it supported the idea that, that uh, the likes of Pirate Bay and other pirate websites needed to be shut down because it was actually doing damage to copyright holders. Well, just recently, an EU parliamentarian by the name of Julia Reader has come out and says that the, the study that was done by the EU into the effects of piracy seems to have been cherry-picked. And I'm just quoting from Julia Reader. This seems to substantiate the suspicion that the European Commission was hiding the study on purpose and cherry-picked the results they wanted to publish by choosing only the results which supported their political agenda towards stricter copyright controls. So it seems that the idea that you are necessarily doing a huge damage to, to the music, books, games industry, uh, as well as, uh, as, as, as movies that are in cinemas, is not necessarily the case. It seems that movies in the cinemas are the main area, the theft of IP through piracy impacted. But uh, in, in some cases, uh, for example, with games, it's suggested that having them available through pirate websites can actually boost sales. So a, a, an interesting report there. More details coming out from the EU about the real effects of piracy on uh, the holders of copyright. It's suggested that, uh, in fact, it might not be as, as big a deal as people have made out. Now, also in the news, after constant denials, Mark Zuckerberg has admitted that Facebook was used to skew the Brexit and US election results. He has now promised reforms and changes to prevent it happening again and acknowledges that it's a serious issue which Facebook needs to be involved in addressing. Now, your computer may actually be used to mine cryptocurrency. This is possible because malware can find its way into a hard drive through perhaps a, a malware-loaded ad that sits innocuously on a web page you might go to, and that can load itself onto your computer. Just a few ideas or suggestions for what you might do to check this is the case. If you're finding that your computer is running very slowly, it could be that your CPU, your central processing unit, the chip that drives your computer, is actually being slowed down because it's been kind of co-opted as a Bitcoin miner. It's probably more likely to be mining a lesser type of digital currency, not necessarily Bitcoin, because the computing power now required to mine Bitcoins requires dedicated kind of Bitcoin mining factories, if you like. And there's some of those are in Asia and uh, I believe quite a few in China. So the ability to use just people's home computers to do this effectively is not so likely nowadays. But there are other types of cryptocurrency which your computer might be being uh, taken advantage of to mine. Apparently one type is called, 
Monero is a privacy-centric coin with a current market value of about $1.3 billion. Like other cryptocurrencies, it surged in value this year from around $15 in January to a high of $140 in September. Now, apparently, that's the type of thing that your if, you, if your computer's been taken over with this mining malware, could be being used to get Monero. Enterprise networks, so those run by businesses, IBM has found that, uh, that they can also be vulnerable to this type of thing. And I remember a few years ago, certain BitTorrent client programs were also known to co-opt your computer as a Bitcoin miner. So if you've been wondering about why your computer is running very slowly, there is a possibility it may have some malware on board that is using up your computer to mine cryptocurrencies of one form or another. Now, just finally, in the news for today, when Malcolm Turnbull took over as Prime Minister of Australia, he promised that there was going to be an innovation agenda and that Australia was going to be this innovation nation. This was a great thing that was going to happen and this would make a huge difference. Well, unfortunately, like a lot of politicians before him, day-to-day events and other distractions have meant that that has sort of fallen by the wayside and it's now considered that that initiative of making Australia the innovation nation has really fallen in a heap. There's a bit of advice that's been offered from a few tech-savvy people in Australia. For example, the founder of Freelancer.com, a guy called Matt Barry, reckons that Australia suffers from delusions of grandeur about the strength of its economy and technological advances. So we have had, I think it's 25 years of growth without a recession, and that perhaps has led some people to a bit of complacency about the need for entrepreneurialism and innovation, particularly in the area of science and technology. They are suggesting that that it's not that the government's idea or that Malcolm Turnbull's idea of having an innovation nation is a bad one, but it seems that not much has actually been done by the government to achieve that goal. Let's hope that these things can be changed, that people sort of take a wake-up call and support kind of grassroots businesses that are trying to do things in this space because this is where the jobs of the future are going to be. The CSIRO has come out and said that 40% of Australian jobs could be gone in about 15 years' time and if you want to replace those jobs, we need to be looking at STEM based professions so that's science technology engineering and maths those sort of subjects need to be promoted to create the workforce that's going to uh, fill those new jobs that are coming one really good example that's that's cited is bioengineered food which is believed to be a real game changer that will actually change the 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 eating habits of the whole world creating a world of abundance the likes of which we've never seen before and we have got a podcast on our website about a company called Memphis Meats that is going to be creating steak in the lab so um, a pretty interesting example of the type of technology that Australia could be adopting with a view to actually fulfilling the promise of the innovation nation. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.